MCC investments are part of the work we're doing worldwide through the Partnership for Global Infrastructure and Investment. I propose this initiative together with the rest of the G7 to help fill the need for quality, high-standard infrastructure in Africa and in low-income and middle-income countries around the world. At the G7 meeting earlier this year, we announced our intention to collectively mobilize $600 billion dollars the next five years. Tonight, facilities along the southern border are being stretched to the breaking point because of an increase in migrants from Central America. And the numbers are expected to grow even larger in the coming weeks. The numbers have startled even longtime activists. 2,400 migrants attempting to cross the border near El Paso on Sunday alone. Even before this influx, encounters at the southern border were smashing records this year. Those numbers are expected to spike even higher starting in just over a week when the order known as Title 42 expires. The Secretary of Homeland Security was on the border today, even as a group of Republicans vowed to impeach him once they control the House next year. Yeah, What's pretty sure. Name? Gotcha. What's your name? And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's 17th of December, year of our Lord, 2022. There's Biden saying we're going to pay for some more shit. The media all of a sudden's finding the border. I think that's because they want to get rid of Biden. Let me get my nutcracker up there. Bam! And that's somebody getting accosted by Elon Musk. So today's show is going to be a lot of gnashing of teeth. Um... We have reporters pissed off because reporters got banned for geolocating him, which is against policy, and he said it, but they did it, and wow, there's a lot of national teeth. We have some gay Olympics going on, some more stuff about those people. It's horrible. Before we start, though, I, I, I got a couple sound bites that I want to get into that aren't in here, and this will be our focus for most of the day. Twitter 6 came out and definitive proof that the FBI not only was working with Twitter, they were telling who to de-platform. So understand, oh man, this is so boring. There's so much of this. Why is every conservative? Dude, USPS, DHS, DNI, FBI, CIA, IRS, Put every alphabet they're in there. They're using them to go around the Constitution, and they're getting Google, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, fa- uh, freaking everything but TikTok to spy on you. And we'll see. They ask for locations of people. That ain't cool. So um, I was going to play these separate, but since we have so many soundbites today, I'm just going to play it together. Number one, 
is the army a woke officer saying there's a bunch of people from you know it's a woke officer from cyber command saying it's a bunch of people out of work at twitter we could use them and then i'm going to play the entire announcement by desantis who's actually doing things conservatives want But what is really key for us is making sure that we open ourselves to academia and to industry to be able to bring in those subject matter expertise on a list of topics that's quite extensive for what we do. But getting that right talent to help us decode and understand that problem set that we have has been uh, very significant in our ability to work through a bunch of crisis action uh, vulnerabilities and mitigations that we've had from what we've identified happening out there in the information space. I know from an intelligence perspective, we can't compete with what industry is providing on the pay scale, but I would say what we do offer at Army Cyber is a lifestyle and a mission that you really just can't find anywhere else. Although I do know there are some employees from Twitter that are looking for a job. <laughs> Florida, you know, it is against the law to mislead and to misrepresent, particularly when you're talking about the efficacy of a drug. Uh, we see just the other, uh, just recently, Florida got $3.2 billion through legal action against those responsible for the opioid crisis. And so it's not like this is something that's unprecedented. So today, uh, I'm announcing a, a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. And we anticipate that we will get the approval for that. Uh, that will be something that will be impaneled, most likely in the Tampa Bay area. Uh, and that will come with legal processes that will be able uh, to get more information and to bring legal accountability for those who committed misconduct. Number one, it's because she's a lesbian. So, of course, you know, the lesbian thing, we don't have to actually abide by the oath of office. I mean, why would we do that? You know, my, my lifestyle that you must embrace is way more important. And DeSantis, game on. Bring that shit on. It's fucking fantastic. I love it. I, I just fucking love it. Good for him. So, up front... Um, Crazy stalker attacks Elon Musk's car as Twitter boss threatens legal action against accounts tracking his private jests. They ignored him, so he fucking canceled him. And then he bans this, and the WAPO comes out with an article instantly. Corporate media, you saw that one, could stomp all they want. Andy NGO reports domestic terrorism charges for five arrested at a violent Antifa autonomous zone near Atlanta. And wouldn't you know that they're rich white kids? I didn't put the picture up because I, I didn't feel like it. We talked last time, and I was going to come up with a new bumper, but I, I didn't get it done in time. Hoaxes. Everything's a hoax now. And we talked about psyops. And right now, I have three th threads on this. Want to know what it's like to deal with uh, some journalists who cover the intel and national security community at the highest level, but actually serve more like mouthpieces of permanent security state? Here's a story. I was serving as Deputy DNI Strategy and Communication in 2020. So during the height of the election season, I was part of then DNI John Radcliffe's small circle advisors. And part of my job was handling report reporter inquiries. October 18th, Adam Schiff suggested laptop might be part of a Russian smear. 
October 19th, Ratcliffe says there's no intel the sports shifts lie. The press played it was a battle. Ratcliffe shift battle over Biden emails politicize intelligence. 19th, then political reporter Natasha, uh, Natasha Bertrand preps a story about 50 former intel agents. We know about that. The 27th, Ratcliffe warns the country in a primetime press conference that several foreign countries are seeking to interfere. Among those, Iran and Ratcliffe actually noted was seeking to damage President Trump. 28, Natasha Bertrand calls claiming Ratcliffe went off script with his comments because it didn't fit their agenda. The intelligence was clear, he shows it. How could Ratcliffe go off script? He can't. At this point, I took the rare step of asking to speak to her editor, who was Blake Hounsell, before the story published. I explained to Blake what I outlined above and reminded him that Tasha had also been wrong about the Biden laptop. I got a, it got a little heated. At some point, exasperated that truth didn't seem to matter then, Natasha Bertrand was floated on building a narrative. I snapped and said it was garbage reporting. Hounsell replied that I was a garbage person. Politico published another misleading story. Right now, as we talked in the last podcast, Axios was created by two goons that used to go on MSDNC. And they created... Politico, which was supposed to be truly nonpartisan, but it became totally a Democratic mouthpiece. And then they went on to make Axios, and they are not only pushing to get people not to advertise on Twitter, they're doing a story a day about how it's a a dangerous hellhole of um, white supremacists and Nazis and then the next day sending emails to these companies that they name in the story, hey, we're a great place. Come advertise with us. My next PSYOPs. Caught this yesterday. If you haven't read this yet, you should. It's important. It's an angle they're still working hard. Stochastic terrorism, a game of rhetorical symmetry. We're currently watching what strategic operators would call operational preparation of the environment, which is an information war update of operational preparation of the battlefield. Specifically, leftists are using stochastic terrorism as a narrative arc. The leftist Marxist regime is going to try to capitalize on the act of violence against some LGBTQ target, maybe a drag queen, to turn it into a huge summer 2020 mass line of the can. I'm calling this Operation Drag Floyd for the obvious and hilarious reason. This is the second podcast this week i have searched all i found was an antifa guy fucking with elon musk there is no proof of anti-drag violence there are parents going to school boards and saying or people picketing i read in one article by the right another library who wants to do drag queen story hour but there's no violence you can see with the nightclub shooting by a non-binary dude recently and other things that hit the media and vanished that they're in the searchlight mode of this operation they're holding they're looking for the spark that means they think they got the narrative the two biggest pieces of this narrative op are rising anti-lgbtq eieio hate 
all those media matter pieces na- naming names that we keep laughing about and stochastic terrorism, which they they painted libs of TikTok and other very heavily with. The goals are pretty obvious. They're dredged up event that's at least apparently universally considered abhorrent, pushed like summer 2020, blaming rising anti-LGBT hate and stochastic terrorism and all those name names, but also crucially Elon Musk. Plebes like myself and Libs of Talk Talk are the primary targets in this. That's why every article's preparatory narrative push so far mentions so far mentions of us in association with Elon Musk letting us back on Twitter. They're going to try to regain or sink the USS Twitter. The program can be easily upset. It's not hard to overturn their Apple card. Nancy Mace and Byron Donalds did a lot yesterday by exposing the fraudulent Weird Al Carballo stochasticism active measures, which is now damaged, trace its purpose and disrupt the shot. It's horrible tragedy occurs, and we must hope it doesn't, and discourage it for every reason, strategic and morally, as many people as possible need to see the attempt for drag Floyd operation before it can get off the ground. Now, his, I don't know who this guy is. We've had mega, ultra mega, super mega, white supremacy was rampant all over the country, just everywhere is a Nazi. The use of Nazi everything, and I got one today that is just amazing. It is so amazing. White Christian nationalists, that was like for two months, and some papers are still pushing it. And now two in a row, stochastic terrorism. PSYOP 3. Big day for the free speech crowd can hear suddenly embracing the idea that online speech can lead stochastically to real-world violence, justifying the imposition of centralized content moderation. The trust and safety crowd should welcome this epiphany, in my opinion. Yes, you're right. Now just imagine caring about the safety of marginalized people as much as you about the safety of billionaires who own private desks. I replied to this with the secret cabal picture that I use incessantly. Media PSYOP smear campaigns last six years. Mega insurrectionist, I forgot that one. Ultra mega, white Christian nationalist, trans genocide while vets were committing suicide at 22 a day. Current campaign, stochastic fascism, nationwide anti-drag violence with no proof. And I've gotten a bunch of likes because it's spot on. With the Ron DeSantis vaccine investigation is all about beating Trump and how it's dangerous, and it's going to kill marginalized people. So, for our media jerk-off, you're going to hear the mention of stochastic terrorism in here. You're going to hear a brief one by Ben Collins, but a lot of people losing their shit over Twitter, specifically Darcy, the sycophant of Brian Seltzer. I have a politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. Overnight, Elon Musk suspending the Twitter account of multiple journalists. Twitter banned. The accounts of leading journalists from news outlets 
suddenly suspended, saying the users, quote, violated Twitter rules. The platform's new owner, Elon Musk, claiming a violation of policy for sharing what he calls assassination coordinates. The reaction this morning. His latest move as boss, Musk wielding his power as CEO to suspend several well-known journalists without much explanation overnight. However, some of those accounts he temporarily axed from Twitter include people who have been critical of him. Overnight, Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, suspending the accounts of multiple journalists from news outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN, for allegedly violating the company's new doxing policy by sharing his live location. The way of suspensions comes on the heels of Musk's move earlier this week to permanently ban the at Elon jet. This seems really scary, okay? These are reporters who covered Elon Musk, who have covered the changes on Twitter since he took over. Now, he's claiming these suspensions are taking place because these reporters put him at risk, potentially posting his locations. But there's not even evidence any of them did that. That's right. He, he's now suspending reporters who have linked to people who have posted the location of private airplanes that are tracked by a open network of people across the United States, um, including Musk's private jet. Uh, and uh, not the, the people who run the accounts themselves, but just journalists who have reported on that fact are now being banned. You, you know, as a chief security officer, I've had to work on executive protection. And it's true. CEOs of big companies have legitimate security concerns. They get mm -hmm. lots of death threats. They always worry about their kids, but there's absolutely no evidence that the accounts that were posting the movements of his jet, and especially these journalists, did anything to put his family at risk. In fact, the example he brought up was a, a uh, run-in with somebody in Los Angeles where people figured out the exact location of that video, and it was absolutely nowhere near an airport. It had nothing to do with this. So this is pretty clearly just a cover for him to start to make really uh, capricious decisions about the journalists he wants to be able to to leave and to kind of throw an elbow at all of media because you know as you know the modern media is really kind of addicted to Twitter both for getting clicks and, and a lot of journalists spend a lot of time there getting stories finding sources and such and by demonstrating that he can take them down at any moment I think he's he's looking to to intimidate the people who have given him negative coverage. Um, Oliver, what is CNN going to do about this? Well, I think this raises a big question about what the free press, what the future of the free press on Twitter looks like you know are news organizations going to stand by as the reporters are just you know hastily banned without explanation uh cnn is saying it's going to reevaluate its relationship with twitter based on the response it gets i want to read you the full statement allison Please. it says um the impulsive and unjustified suspension of a number of reporters including cnn's donio sullivan is concerning but not surprising and it goes on to say twitter's increasing instability and volatil volatility should, have, should be of incredible concern for everyone who uses Twitter. And then it goes on to say, we have asked Twitter for an explanation and we will reevaluate our relationship based on that response. And I think it's so important to point out that Twitter really needs or really relies on news. I mean, that's what's what the kind of the lifeblood of and Twitter. Journalists. Current events. I mean, they're all right. on Twitter. And so if you see news organizations start to pull their reporters pull their brand accounts, pull their content off of Twitter, you know, that's going to be a real blow. To Collins joins me now. Ben, so uh, RIP Twitter was trending as a hashtag this weekend. How will letting Trump back on the platform sit with advertisers? And I just want to say also, the NAACP is urging companies not to advertise on Twitter. And to call this a poll based on a poll when it was 
telling his followers, Elon Musk's followers, let me know if you think Trump should be back on. That is hardly what we would call a poll. Yeah, you can't think of a less scientific poll than a guy posting something with no warning on, you know, Friday night on Twitter.com. I think there's no, there's no less followers. scientific. Yeah, it's his own followers, exactly. Uh, so, look, uh, Twitter is evolving, and Twitter is evolving into a place where the info war happens. And if uh, advertisers want to be a part of the information war between rival factions where, uh, for example, Kanye West, who is being replied to by Elon Musk and liked by Elon Musk saying shalom, uh, after being temporarily uh, banned from the platform uh, for tweeting that he was about to go DEFCON 3 on the Jews. That was his last tweet before he was banned. He's allowing people like that back on the platform, and he is de facto endorsing them by liking all their tweets. And this is raising a number of issues, Jim. Obviously, it highlights how Musk doesn't really have that commitment to free speech that he uh, said he does, but it also raises questions about what the future of the free press looks like on Twitter. Of course, you know, Twitter's a private platform so they can do what they want, but news organizations, you know, have provided a lot of content to Twitter over the years. News mm -hmm. is sort of the lifeblood of Twitter. And if they decide now that they don't want to be on this platform because he's banning their journalists, I think it raises some questions about the future. I think, it, well, it's important. To, it's, it's one of these cases where it's difficult, right? Yeah. You don't want to give someone attention if they're just looking for attention. But I think it's also important to talk about what's happening on this platform because it is such a crucial information platform. This is how a lot of the world communicates. I mean, world can, leaders are on this platform. Can we platform, talk about right? that? Like, let's get outside of the United States for a world for a moment, this is a show that airs around the world, and there are many other countries, not democracies, like the United States, that are so reliant on Twitter mm -hmm. for information and for having their voices heard outside of the country. How does something like this potentially affect that in a much more grave situation? Yeah, absolutely. A couple ways. One, Twitter's user base is mostly international, right. and other world leaders look to leaders in America, whether they're politicians or business leaders. Okay, this is another long one, but I'm going to read it because this one's probably the most damning, really, in my opinion. Twitter files are revealing more every day about how the government collects, analyzes, and flags your social media content. Twitter contact with the FBI was constant and pervasive, as if it was a subsidiary. Between January 2020 and November 2022, there were over 150 emails between the FBI and that little soy boy, Yul Roth. Some are mundane, like San Francisco agent Elvis Chan wishing Roth a happy New Year's. Others are requests for information and Twitter users related to active investigation. But a surprisingly high number of requests by the FBI for Twitter to take action on election misinformation, even involving joke tweets from low-count followers. The FBI's social media focus task force, known as FTIF, created in the wake of the 2016 election because Democrats lost, if you know, been the other way around, wouldn't have been created, swelled to 80 agents in correspondence with Twitter to identify alleged foreign influence in election tampering of all kinds. Let's stop for a second as I hit the mic with my hat rim. We've had shootings that were on radar. The motherfucker that shot the Q Club was on radar. We had world or freaking nationwide domestic terrorism burning down federal buildings, police buildings, whole cities. Waukesha. Or I don't know which one it was. The one was fucking... Wisconsin, burned to the ground. Car dealerships burned to the ground. We then had just the last summer, 
Jane's Revenge, damaging Christian institutions, which used to be unacceptable because some of them were black, by Jane's Revenge, and they haven't stopped a single one. And we found that eight of them were part of the Whitmer kidnapping, and it was suggested by them. Sadly, three dumbasses are going to jail. And I say that sadly because they didn't do anything. They got manipulated by fucking FBI informants to go do something they never even thought of. And now we, we've unequivocally known and it's been admitted FBI agents broke into the fucking Capitol with Antifa people and NBC News crews. But my meme or your meme or saying Brian Seltzer's Mr. Potato is more important for the fucking FBI. Really? What the fuck? Federal intelligence and law enforcement reached into Twitter, including the Department of Homeland Security, which partnered with security contractors and think tanks to pressure Twitter to moderate content. It's no secret the government ana- analyzes bulk data for all sorts of purposes, everything from tracking terrorists to us from making economic forecasts. And we give it to them. I mean, this is it right here. The moment we get this and you leave your voice search on or your um, assistant or location tracking, how the fuck you think all those people who went to Trump's speech... Wouldn't have done it, even if I was a mega guy. It looked like a setup. But they went there, and they geocached this shit and arrested motherfuckers in Alaska. Who did nothing, by the way. Kicked their doors in. That was on the Tucker special. And um, Nick Searcy's. So, I mean, we're letting them cache everything. They know what we search for. They know what we talk about. Because it's always listening. Even your phone's fucking off. Even you have the location off. They're pinging it. The Twitter files show something new. Agencies like the FBI and DHS regularly sending social media content to Twitter through multiple entry points, pre-flagging the moderation. What stands out is sheer quantity of reports from the government. Election day protocol for FBI headquarters is to stand up a national election command post while providing a centralized location for assessing election-related threats. Because we can't let... We, once again... I hate to do it. Moving in it. Oh, yeah, that, that guy's a good person. He finally got fired, by the way. It was all this. You couldn't let Trump win. So here are some of the things they sent. Hello, Twitter contacts. The master canine quality of the FBI's relationship to Twitter comes through in November 2022 email in which FBI San Francisco is notifying you it wants action on four counts. Jonathan One Wade from MA made and pissed off Malt underscore Thomas. Twitter personnel in the case went on to look for reasons for suspend all four accounts, including Froma, whose tweets are almost all jokes. These are the the things he was kicked off for. I want to remind Republicans to vote tomorrow, Wednesday, November 9th. It's a joke. Proposed container ship if there's a worldwide recession, and it shows a dinghy with a mill van in it and some country, which is really funny. Just to show the FBI can be hyper-inclusive on both directions, they also asked Twitter to review a blue-leaning account for a different joke, except there it was even more obvious that Claire Foster, PhD, who kids a lot, was just kidding. 
I'm a ballot counter in my state. If you're not wearing a mask, I'm not counting your vote. For every negative comment on this post, I'm adding another vote for Democrats. It was, you know, what the fuck? They're doing it. I mean, so why would you get upset? Anyone who cannot discern obvious satire from reality has no place making decisions and others working for the Fed, said Claire Foster when told about the flagging. Of the six accounts mentioned in the previous two emails, all but two, Claire Foster and from May, were suspended. In an internal email from November 5th, 2022, the FBI's National Election Command Post, which compiles and sends on complaints, sent the SF field office a long list of accounts. They may warrant additional action. Uh, it's so fucking many. Billy Baldwin was on this. Agent Chan passed on a list to his Twitter full. Please see below list of Twitter accounts, which we believe are violating your terms of service by disseminating false information. So the FBI is all in on the Democrats thing. Twitter then replied his list of actions taken. Note mercy shown to actor Billy Baldwin because he's a liberal and they didn't do anything about it. Many of the above accounts were satirical in nature. Nearly all, with the exception of Baldwin and RSB Network, were relatively low engagement and some were suspended, most with generic thanks Twitter letter. You attempted voter suppression. When the FBI told the FBI flagging Lex Tolia, my thoughts initially include one, seems like a prima facie 1A violation, two, holy cow, me, an account with the reach of a, a mold, amoeba, three, what else are they looking at? I can't believe the FBI is policing jokes on Twitter. That's crazy, said Tiberius444, who was suspended because they're all conservative. In a letter to former Deputy General Counsel and former top FBI lawyer Jim Baker on September 16, 2022, legal exec Stacia Cardelia outlines results from her soon-to-be weekly meeting with DHS, DOJ, FBI, and the Office of Director of National Intelligence. That is just absurd. The Twitter exec writes, she explicitly asked if they were impediments to the sharing of classified information with industry? The answer, FBI, was adamantly no impediments to sharing exist. This passage underscores the unique one big happy family between Twitter and the FBI. At the bottom of the letter, she lists a series of escalations apparently raising at the meeting which were already handled. About one, she writes, flagged a specific tweak on Illinois' use of modems to, to transmit election results and a possible violation of the civic integrity policy. It was a red district. Another internal letter from January 2021 shows Twitter execs process an FBI list of possible violation content. Here, too, most tweets contain the same get out there and vote Wednesday joke. In the March 2021 email, an FBI liaison thanks a senior Twitter exec for the chance to speak to you and the team, then delivers a packet of products. And I'm not going to read anymore. I'm just not going to read anymore. It goes on. They they are totally in bed with the left, with this misinformation shit, which really is just things we don't agree with that usually turn out to be true. Add-ons. An FBI agent just reached out with a key point about the gross subservience of Twitter before the FBI. A lot of companies we deal with are adversarial to us, like T-Mobile is totally adversarial. They love leaking things we're saying if we don't get our process right. I feel like there's a default position. People used to get mad about that in the Bureau, but they're supposed to represent their clients and their customers. Why in the hell would you expect them to make it easy on you? Do the right thing. Do it the right way.
add an addendum to. Here's the FBI just a month ago asking Twitter for location information on a bunch of Twitter users. They wanted their locations off their pings. So, as you would expect, the media ignored, and when they did, they only went, here, Ben Collins, I don't know if I got that one, I didn't get this one, um, some NBA, NBA, NPR smears Twitter files as ugly must-stunk, but at least they reported on it. Here is Ben Collins, I just want to play it again. Because this toad, NBC suspended him. On Pizzagate cabal style stuff. The idea that the world is secretly run by this new world order uh, and it is trying to censor you. It's trying to prevent the world from seeing what's really going on. And that Nancy Pelosi and people like that... Those people uh, in the QAnon spaces right now, those people are at the top of that sphere. They are at the top of that pecking order when it comes to how people believe in conspiracy theories. And I, I do want to stress this. Um, right now, on, trending on Twitter mm-hmm. is the lie about this guy. It's the lie that... It's trending. It's trending on Twitter as we speak. Uh, because Elon Musk pushed it uh, on Saturday. Or yesterday, sorry. Uh, I just want to make it clear how they got to this place. So, uh, I, first of all, lies on the internet move faster than the truth. And that's in part why there are all these safeguards that Elon Musk is trying to take down on Twitter right now. Um, the lies that were pushed were from bad pieces of information they found. For example, they said that uh, Paul Pelosi was uh, in his underwear. Of course he was, 2.30 in the morning at the time he was attacked. They, that led them to believe this was a lover's quarrel between two different people that knew each other. The reason they believe they knew each other is because the police put out a statement saying that they didn't really know who opened the door. So they, that led them to believe there was a third person in the house. Mm-hmm. So from there, there was this world building on the pro-Trump internet. What could be the opposite of reality here? And the opposite of reality they came up with was these two people were having a lover's quarrel in a house and the police sort of intruded on us. It's fundamentally incorrect. It was pushed by the richest man in the world. And then yesterday it was pushed by Donald Trump Jr who posted a picture of underwear and a hammer and said it's a Halloween costume for Paul Pelosi. If we don't cut this out right now, not just the normalization of violence, but the idea that reality can't even exist anymore because it cannot catch up to the lies on the internet. I'm not a scholar on authoritarian history, but I've I've read Hannah Arendt, I've read all of these people. Mm -hmm. This is how it gets really bad. This is the start of something that gets really, really bad. If you are getting the guardrails off the truth, where it literally cannot catch up to the lies on the internet because of how the pipes work, how the system works, because of the incentives of the richest people in the world, then that's how you lose your democracy. So So after suspending him, he didn't handle it too well. It's so wrong they did this, Ben. You're one of the few Twitter alerts I have turned on because your work is so important. I'm just reading this. You're one of the few trusted to bring it straight with no chaser. These are all women. I'm gutted that this happened. You delve into the Internet's worst places. You are more than welcome to join us at Dave Tech, where we are currently designing a 500-foot hot dog. The ADL... 
thinking you get something positive. This was all this week. It's all it's all psyops. The reality of how Erasmus spreads on Twitter. The New York Times didn't report on Twitter files, but they reported on the suspensions. Breaking news, Twitter has suspended the accounts of roughly half a dozen journalists, the latest change by social media service under Elon Musk, when we had um, the New York Times story, a test of social media companies and misinformation policies came last week when New York Post published a story with supposedly incriminating information, but it was blocked because it's Russian disinformation. Articles like this. Real-time doxing and the littlest Musk supporting. I found a couple. Not a whole lot. Salon. Newsrooms are scrambling to count the ban because it's so important to us. We had Darcy, who you saw, the Twitter files through the really showed, I think, the messy content moderation that was happening behind the scenes. And I think we're seeing, it's possible, no surprise, but we're seeing not everyone is on the same page when they're making these complex decisions. What was really noteworthy was there was no evidence of government involvement in trying to suppress this story. And that was a big claim that Elon Musk had made earlier. Yeah, there was. The DNI. Sorry. This was the one that I loved. Uh... Kicking people off social media platform reminds this individual of Crystal Knock because you always got to get Nazis. You you just always have to find a Nazi. It, it is what we do. Um, it 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 just fucking really it is really cracks me the fuck up. It's always Nazi. Um, here is some more Darcy because they they just can't handle that they're being treated like normals. With the so-called Twitter files, Elon Musk has claimed he wants to bring transparency to Twitter. And, well, it's not totally what's happening. But cue the birth of the Twitter files. Let me tell you more. Musk selected a handful of journalists unaffiliated with major credible news organizations with whom... To all of these toads, I was replying with this all weekend. Because that's what it is. Everyone I don't like is Hitler. This came in a great article from uh, Commentary. How disinformation journalists are practicing disinformation. And it's spot the fuck on. Um, The only report Washington Post has done on this. They labeled these guys conservatives. Which they're not. And to show you how bad it is, because FTX I really haven't covered because I know you're getting it shoved down your neck hole every fucking day. Um, this is what he donated. It's all lefties. And that's why it's just completely buried. So, tied in with this, because we're, we're living another disinformation that's linked to this, is this LGBT shit. Um, we're going to listen to uh, two conservatives really quick. Let's do that first. Here is Ben Shapiro and Katie Pavlich talking on it because we about to go woke, friends. And uh, it all fits in like a puzzle. 
Well, I agree completely with the Wall Street Journal. There's been a lot made about the Twitter files being about exposing Democrats and their control uh, over the public conversation on that platform before Elon Musk was able to purchase it and reveal what was going on during the 2020 election. And as he said, he's going to put more information out about what happened after that. But the biggest issue here is the federal government using a private entity, a private company, to do something that they are not al allowed to do legally or constitutionally. They have been using a private institution to censor speech that they disagree with, that they claim was disinformation or misinformation that was actually based on fact. And that is a real serious problem for the future of the country when you have a number of high-profile, very powerful law enforcement agencies, intelligence, intelligence agencies going after political opponents by using private industry to do so. The journalism members who are extraordinarily upset, and they're really mad. And the people at CNN, the people at NBC, the people in all the media infrastructure who are super upset that standards are now being applied to them that were applied in opaque fashion to all of their enemies five minutes ago and they were cheering, I have no sympathy for them. So two things can be true at once. I may not agree with Elon Musk's standard. It depends on the details of that standard as they emerge. But all of the journalists who are spending their time cheering on censorship who are going after other media companies and trying to have their advertisers removed by calling up advertisers who have nothing to do with the company and trying to harass them into silence. All the same people who say speech is violence and therefore it's fine to get kicked. Like all the people at Politico, for example, who are whining and screaming and holding vast staff-wide meetings over me writing a playbook letter for Politico. If those people get suspended, I have no sympathy for them. One set of rules for everyone. If you are the people who are claiming that censorship on the basis of opaque standards is totally fine because you like the people doing the censoring, then live by those standards. You will get no sympathy from me. So people like Aaron Rupar, whose job in life and the glory they get in life is by trying to get other people kicked off social media, getting kicked off social media, you have no, there will be no tears for you. Turn it up, turn it on. Rock it like we bad to the bone, get on the floor. Running loose, gotta put these two left feet to use. If you need education in the party scene, if you think you can dance with me, this ain't no joke. Turn up, let's get woke. Show me your dick. 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 From Brooklyn, San Fran, Lady Boy in Heels. Quest, I wanna look at it and touch it and taste it, but make sure I don't break it, honey. Fuck your party favors, dick like yours will get me wasted. Give me a peek of that pecker, I wanna sloop out that schlong. Clock that cock, let me babysit your baby arm, Linda B. Johnson. I'm gonna be gagging, yo anaconda too, and we def gonna be shagging. I wanna see it, inspect it, name it, erect it, sex it, then text it, and show all my girls. Cause when a dick come around like that, but baby, 
show other people your dick. You don't have to do anything. I'll show it. I'll be like Vanna White. Give you my good Wheel of Fortune hands right on that dick. Show me your dick, motherfucker! I like big dick. Ah, New York. Why schlep your kids all the way up to the Bronx when the zoo can come to you? I don't know what the worst part about this video is. The bare booty shaking, the fact that there's a whole section of children watching, the few kids learning how to do booty shaking of their own, or the fact that the adults who are supposed to protect kids from perversion are doing the exact opposite. Bottom line is, if this is what society deems acceptable, we're screwed. If you're still in shock from the first clip, welcome to the party. I'm Taryn Rose with MRC TV and Culture, and you're watching Woke of the Week, where I expose the most woke, crazy, insane, and progressive clips from the weak leftist mob. As you can see, we've got a little bit different of a setup this week, so let's skip the frills and cut right to the chase. Teachers have been doing less and less teaching as of late and more and more indoctrination. Exhibit A. You know, we are pulling kids out of the class, um, but it's only for 30 minutes a week and it's on Mondays. So the last like 30 minutes of first period, the kids come to me. Um, I understand that, you know, the kids are coming to my class during another class period. Um, I have okayed this with my administration, with my principal, my admin, all that, uh, because the kids told me straight up, they were like, we don't want to have it after school just in case because some of their parents don't know. So this is pretty incredible. I've been on your air, I think at least twice now, not being terribly enthusiastic about the Respect for Marriage Act, but I recognize the power of this moment and the power of that law. We have to understand that even though it's a little limited, it codifies same-sex marriages in this country in case Obergefell goes down. And I want to point something out, um, Nicole, as you were speaking and the president signed the bill into law. One of the things I always do is watch to see who the president gives, his, gives the pen to. He gave the pen to Vice President Harris. And I think what we're seeing today is historic because in Vice President Harris, in President Biden, we are seeing the sweep of history when it comes to marriage equality. Vice President Harris was the DA in San Francisco in 2004 when she performed probably one of the first same-sex marriages in the country. She did that in San Francisco. Fast forward to 2012 on Meet the Press with our late dear colleague Tim Russert, if memory serves, where Vice President, yes, then Vice President Biden says that he is in favor of same-sex marriage, getting ahead of the president himself, President then President Obama. And now here we are, 10 years later, 2022, with President Biden signing into law the Respect for Marriage Act in perhaps one of the most, um, I don't, I, I, I'm having a hard time finding the words for how historic this moment is for a community that finds itself, the LGBTQIA plus community that finds itself as targets by politicians and others who, uh, through their rhetoric, speak harm towards the community and then... 
Eugene, there were 12 times as many incidents against the LGBTQ community this year alone, according to one estimate. GLAAD also notes 124 protests against drag events this year. So this is reaching you know, a real crisis stage, correct? Yeah, I think that's right. You know, when you talk to advocates on the ground, you know, they, like Ali was saying, they celebrated yesterday with President Biden on the South Lawn, um, on that bill, but then they said at the exact same time, we've seen this rise in not just actual physical violence, but um, physical threats. Um, the, you know, people standing outside with guns and, and tactical gear outside of drag shows, calling, um, queer people, groomers, and saying they're coming to get your kids. There's been this rise in political um, speech that is anti-LGBTQ+. And I think that is where there's such a focus with, when, when I talk about this, that's scary, right? Because those are the places in which, you know, this is a free country, people are allowed to say whatever they want, but then those kinds of things they say have consequences. And that's why you see um, things that like that happen at Club Q, because you dehumanize people when you- For you, because what I don't understand is when I was l listening to the arguments that were being made on the floor, because I'm a nerd, so I was like watching CNBC and stuff like that, they were saying, this is a slippery slope. Like, to, to what? Because now interracial marriage is, is legal. I never knew it was marriage legal. is well, legal. No, it wasn't legal it wasn't. until 1964. It was, yeah, it was even federalized. You know, yeah, it's federalized. So does that mean that these Republicans who are against the gay marriage bill are also against interracial well, marriage? Well, that's, 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 that's a bad like policy to get reelected. I, I oh, doubt no. that is. No, fair. it's not that. It's the fear of, like, polyamory. Yeah, I didn't prep you for that because I didn't want to prep you because that guy was in the White House. That guy was brought to the White House because he's an American that, for some reason, is so suppressed. And this all ties into Twitter. It's all this LGBTQ, EIEIO bullshit that they throw down that somehow they're so marginalized. But if I put a video, I want to see your Gucci, your pussy, or anything like that, I'm going to get banned. And they can put it up. I am suspended off Twitter for saying gender dysphoria in Article 15. He can say kids are all about the singing and the dick. That's pedophilia, but he's not a groomer. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. And if you think that, then you're just a goddamn fascist bigot. The rest is all bullshit. Um, it, it's all bullshit we'll, we'll get to some more we had to uh rainbow the 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 fucking white house again because that's just what we do we just we rainbow a white house this guy um the first picture which i forgot to talk about so this motherfucking freak show um of on display the drag queen christmas event in austin this show is being marketed as family friendly open for all ages all ages all of it just all of it. And I'm going to play um, one, two, three, four sound bites from a hearing this week. I think this meme, which surprisingly is allowed to be on Twitter, which kind of shocked me. This is what we're doing. I mean, this is our world right now. Just trying to live my life everywhere you turn is POC dude with a dick, but he's a woman and he's a better woman than my wife. 
Everywhere you go is trans this, gay that. They're so marginalized. There's a campaign, a genocide, anti-drag violence with no receipts. And they had these wahoos, one of them's a congresswoman, up on Capitol Hill this week. And it's just as what I've always said. It's a fucking religion. They, they've gotten rid of Christianity, Catholicism. They're not even atheists. They worship LGBTQIA with a dose of CRT. events and drag performances around the country. Even hospitals have been targeted with bomb threats and intimidation tactics. Based on social media figures spreading baseless stories that the providers are, in their words, mutilating children. There's a straight line that can be drawn from the legislation trying to strip trans people of our human rights to the increasingly hostile and inflammatory rhetoric portraying us as a threat to society, to the acts of violence that have taken far too many lives. The people engaged in these efforts, from the politicians and media figures who normalize the dehumanization of trans people, to the influencers who vilify us on social media, to the people brandishing firearms and making bomb threats, bear culpability for the violence that ensues. The Williams Institute estimates that there are 1.6 million Americans age 13 and up who are transgender. We live in every state in the nation. We are librarians. We are your barista. Person is safe and protected. We have. Uh, we are constantly filing reports of abuse and neglect because of parents I, I understand not the cases of, of people who It they sounds are. like you're deflecting the question a little bit. Uh, I understand cases of abuse. There's laws to protect the abuse. I mean, schools actually are legally obligated to report cases of abuse. Mm -hmm. Same for churches and, and the like. Anyone who deals with young people, but uh, you know. Do parents have a right? Should they be informed about what's going on? Do they have a right to know what's going on in their kids' lives? So I think, again, those of us who are protecting and supporting young people are there and trusted with the information of the things that they are dealing with. In terms of parents' rights to know at schools, I mean, here in Colorado, parents don't have the right. If a young person is questioning their gender or their sexuality there okay. are laws in place that say that they have the right to process that with their trusted counselor so, so you do, and so forth you do a significant amount of your work with kids even starting at age 13 yep. uh, what what would be the age of consent then in your in your mind uh, in our community the age of consent to mental health therapy is 12 years old so we have laws that enable young people to connect with trusted adults who can support them. That is just so important. It prevents suicide. And so we serve young people at 13 because we know they come to us. You know, this allegation of groomer and pedophile, it is alleging that a person is criminal somehow and engaged in criminal acts merely because of, of their identity, um, their sexual orientation, their gender identity. Um, so. This is clearly prohibited under Twitter's content, yet you found hundreds of these posts on the platform. Your team filed complaints about these posts, correct? Yes. And how often did Twitter act to take down these posts, which violated its own content policy? Very rarely. So from our calculation, it looks like about 99% of your complaints, they basically acted on one. The funny thing about it is it's so pervasive with the D's. I mean, they just picked up this 
Burbage, and it's it's everywhere. It's just with everything. And the president, once again, rightly stood on there at the podium at the White House with a guy who talked about kids wanting dicks and doing music videos about I like big dicks and a little elf fat guy talking about whatever he was talking about. I'll never get that out of my head. That just scarred the shit out of me. So I'm sorry I scarred you. But if I knew, if I told you about it, you wouldn't watch it. But you need to watch it because this is what we're up against. That type of bullshit is okay in the White House. And he said the whole world is marginalizing black people. Um, people are trying to stop interracial marriages and gay marriages and trans and the kids. Is, there's just so much violence. And then I watched Dr. Phil. Because Dr. Phil got on board. And you're going to see about four minutes of it and then five minutes of two 100% unadulterated racist people who go around to these liberal white women because it's always the white women. They, they, they say if we can get the white women, they'll change everything. And when you, they don't win elections, the, the white women are pieces of shit because they didn't vote for a dude with a dick that's running for Congress or a black woman who spent her whole campaign saying white people are garbage or, you know, whatever. Those people are garbage. So these people, once again, virtue signaling is so heavy with social media and you, you, you want that acceptance. So you just do this virtual signaling. So you go to this meeting and these two women just tell you you're a fucking piece of shit, garbage human. And somehow that's not racist. They're trying to help you. I mean, it goes on for like 15 minutes. It's They paid for it. And the, the black woman, the hate and contempt in her eyes on a one hour or 45 minute Dr. Phil episode, I, had, I have only seen that once in my life in South Carolina where blacks called you peckerwood, saltine, all that kind of stuff. You know, that that's the kind of stuff that, in fact, I, I, I got to put that video up. I, I just, I don't think I put it in the, the buffer, bumper for this, but there's this black lady who called everybody saltine settlers. And, and, you know, that's okay. But the Indian Muslim, I don't know what, what nationality she comes from, the light-skinned person, she is virtue signaling so hard to that black lady that she's even meaner. Um, it, it's hard to watch, but here we go. I thought it was a compliment to say, ask, or they were saying I was middle class, because I'm not, you know. Okay, our story is, Syra ran for Congress back in 2018 against a long-term Democratic Congresswoman in Colorado. Her whole platform was anti-racism. So every time Syra would speak, white women would line up to talk to her, and what they wanted to say is, not me, I'm not racist. I had a friend in the neighborhood, white woman, who comes to me and she says, Regina, I'm done with Syrah. She hates white people, but if you can get her to go lunch with me, because I worked on Syrah's campaign, she said, that'd be great. So I go to Syrah and I say, you know, so-and-so wants to go to lunch with you. And Syrah says, I'm not doing that anymore. She says, I'm paying for breakfast, lunch, dinner, cocktails, because these white women aren't paying for it. I'm paying for a babysitter. She said, and they're not going to, vote for me anyway. So she said, but 
if your friend wants to have a dinner and invite some of her white lady friends and you do it with me, I'll do that. So that's what we did. And then it was a full white woman Broadway musical replete with crying, angry, you know, eye rolls. We saw some crying just now. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I posted about it on Facebook. It went viral. And Regina and I thought to ourselves, you know, we were educating white women for free. We might as well get paid, which, my God, you would think that we've like asked people to give us their kidneys, that we're paying, uh, paying for this, asking people to pay for this work. Um, but that's what, that's what started it. It was February of 2019. Uh -huh. And what did you expect at these dinners compared to what you got? It's basically exactly what we expect is what we get. We've done a ton of them by now. We've done a ton. So you expected to have a bunch of white women in denial saying, no, 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 not me. And that's what you got. Yeah. They have basically the three Ds, deny, deflect, defend. So right. we see that all the time. There's no change. Um, some women are ready to do the work, but pretty much when they come to the dinners, it's not me. I'm not racist. So you commented on Ambrosia and essentially mocked her crying. Yeah. No, I didn't mock her. I just pointed out that she cried. Well, what's, what's uh, wrong No, with actually, you didn't. Uh, you actually kind of mocked her. You said, uh, you, you mentioned crying as she did, uh, which is pretty mocking. That's your interpretation. It is. Well, yeah, Dr. Phil, we, we, the only rule we have at dinner is that you cannot cry well, at the table. You have to go in the other room. You have to, I, yeah, and, and, and we all know why. Because white women tears, it shifts the whole conversation from what you're trying to engage in to, oh, poor so-and-so, ain't it awful? They made her feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which was... Which I interpreted as your point. There it is. That was your point, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a teardrop on our book cover. Yeah. So, what was y'all's reaction to what Ambrosia had to say, and well, how she said it? Here's what I would say: um, We've had over a million Americans die <clears throat> from COVID, over a million, and largely at the beginning of this, it was people of color. It wasn't white people. It was black people. When you go into a convenience store, now this is just me. I'm going to respect somebody's rules, somebody's policies. If they ask me to wear a mask, I'm going to wear a mask. That's just me. Yeah. Well, that's just you, and that was just her. Mm -hmm. that, that's an individual choice. I, I'm but same way. But they were largely black people. Do you understand mm -hmm. what I'm saying? I Who hear were you. being largely impacted more by COVID than white people. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't required, and they ask you to step outside. Yes, and that is a private business, yes. even though it sounds official because it's UPS. It is a private business, and yeah. they have a. So I want a show of hands of everyone at this table, who is racist.
This was a clip from Deconstructing Karen, a new and fantastic documentary that profiles Race to Dinner, a series of dinner par parties with honest conversations about white supremacy taking place while breaking bread. So that's why we're so excited to have with us today the executive producers of the film, Syra Rao and Regina Jackson, who are also the co-founders of Race to Dinner. And with them is their colleague, Lisa Bond. Welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you for having us. We're very excited. And Syra, so yes, it's called Deconstructing Karen. Let's start with deconstructing what that means, a Karen and a Becky. Sure. Um, so in a nutshell, all white women are Karens and Beckys. Okay. Um, why? Because all white women have white power and white privilege. And the way that you choose to wield that white power and privilege makes you the kind of Karen you are. So you can be one of many Karens that's gone viral for a whole host of things, including <laughs> calling the police on black and brown people for literally just sitting and doing mm -hmm. nothing, breathing. Mm -hmm. Or more likely than not, you're the Karen who is remaining silent when horrible things are being done and said in the boardroom, you know, it, at work, at uh, your kid's school, at your own school, at home. It's that silence. And typically, Karen's violence shows up, the devil shows up in whispers and hushes, and uh -huh. less so in viral Karen videos. Mm. All white women are Karen. Mm. So, uh, Regina, Deconstructing Karen, then, is, is based on Race to Dinner, which is a business that you and Syra started. Tell us about these dinners. What happens? Well, basically, we have radically honest conversations with white women about their racism. And uh, Syra will generally say that she is anti-black, and everybody will pivot towards me. And I go, well, and black people know it. The mm. gig is up. We know that you, every person who comes to this country as an immigrant, believes themselves to be better than us. So. You can put CRT on this picture, and that's what you just watched. It's all. Here's a, a, a fierce Richmond Children's Museum celebrates Pride Night with a legendary drag Santa, because that's, that's important. That, that's really important. We, we need that. Next is a short snippet. If you were a member, of, uh, a person listening to this show, um, last year, we were talking about they were carting around an ex-SEAL dude. And this SEAL guy had turned trans. And he was the spotlight for why we have to have trans in the media or in the military. So, sorry, I'm, it's cold as fuck down here. I'm going to run a nose. So... We were inundated with him and address and everything, and I mentioned it last time, but I ran out of time. So I'm going to play five minutes of this very long video he did with somebody um, on Rumble. And now he's back to uh, being a male, like 80% of all the trans people do. You know, the lucky ones who didn't cut their shit off. Do you ever feel like the whole world has gone insane? Yeah, you're not alone. I feel that way. In fact, the majority of people feel that way. The truth is, we were all sold this great lie that being part of a silent majority was something we should be proud of. Being a silent majority allowed a very loud, angry group of people to control everything. And the problem there is, that small group of people, they're communists. 
I say that myself as someone who's the son of a Cuban refugee who had to flee communism. I know the reality of how important the American dream is. I know how quickly we can lose freedom. And that's why this is our last stand. I'm your host, Robbie Starbuck, and I'm gonna be diving deep on the issues and people that matter so that together we can save the American dream and once again, become a loud majority that steers the direction of this country. If you're with me and you wanna spread truth and wake up the masses, you're in the right place. Together, one piece of truth at a time, we can save America. So you may or may not have seen in 2013 an interview with a Navy SEAL named Chris Beck. He came out on Anderson Cooper in an hour-long special as a transgender Navy SEAL and said he was transitioning to a woman. That story was watched by tens of millions of people. It had a massive effect and it was followed by a book called Princess Warrior that was written with a psychologist who was working with him. Now today, we've got Chris on the show with his fiance, Courtney, to break down why he's detransitioning. That's right, he is no longer transgender. He's seen that this was the wrong path and wants to warn kids who are headed down that same path so that they don't make the same mistakes that he's made. Hi, Chris. Hi, Courtney. Thank you so much for coming on with us today. You may already know Chris from previous episodes on Joe Rogan or from the story in 2013 where Chris came out as transgender. And I could tell you a little bit more about his military service, which is why it was notable in the media at the time. He did an hour-long special with Anderson Cooper explaining sort of the transition story and everything like that. He was SEAL Team 6. He served for over 20 years. And I just I have to bring up a paper to read and remember all the medals that Chris has earned. So please, please don't. <laughs> and now I've got to. I've got to so that everybody understands the nature of, of what you've done. You earned Bronze Star with Combat Distinguishing Service, Purple Heart. You're a rare two-time recipient of the Defense Meritorious Service Medal. Um, you retired with a final rating of Senior Chief Special Warfare Operator. And I did a little bit of research on my own and spoke to some SEALs and people who are in the Navy who say that your service actually went beyond what you see in those medals, that you were something of, you know, a really legendary SEAL, that you did some pretty amazing things. That's what I heard from people who served at the same time and after. You did a lot of great things and you displayed the type of bravery that I think people want in Warriors. So thank you for your service first before we get into this. But why we're here today is because of everything happening in America with this transition craze that's going on with kids. You have something that you want to tell the world. What is that? So the word you used is then craze. I think a lot of people have probably offended by that, but they should be. There was a time when transgender, like what I thought I was, and I'm going to go into a lot of that. So that, remember that it was not easy. It was like difficult. You had to go through a lot. You also saw like what was happening in society. You're like, I don't want to do that. Nobody wanted to do that. It wasn't something that you lose your job. You lose your friends. I was making $200,000 a year before I came out. I had a great job. I had all my friends. I, I had a life. Right now, it's like about 1% in those days. It was a real low number. And now it's upwards of what, 20%? I mean, nobody knows, you know, but it, but that kind of a jump, it was like this that this really long line and then boom, it just jumps up. What happened? And that's what I'm asking. And now there's like, what, thousands of gender clinics 
being put up all over America. I think if you had one gender clinic in first date, that would be a lot, you know, because there's so few amount of people. Now, what's happening is somehow this became popular or something happened. I don't know. There's kids right now who are teenagers. There's 13-year-olds right now. These girls who are possibly being bullied, possibly anxiety, depression, adjustment disorder, uh, eating disorder. There's a whole bunch of things that could be happening in these young people's lives. Okay, so before we start into our home stretch, here's our links to SoundCloud and to Rumble. Um, you can find those off the website, too, before it shuts down on January 4th. But foppodcast.com, unfortunately, will shut down. I can't really afford it until I get healed up. But there's a little bit of hope, and we'll talk about it in a second. I want to close this subject and then go into some quick hits. Um, I think when you put this together, Twitter and this trans shit with Biden in front talking about it, this is just the beginning. What we saw yesterday at the White House is the beginning. It is not the end. Everybody who's pretending that this was the end point of the same-sex marriage movement, that the, the end point of the LGBTQ minus plus divided by sign movement is going to be same-sex marriage is dead wrong. And Joe Biden said that out loud yesterday. And it is very clear that the goal here, the goalposts keep moving. They keep moving because in the end, what the LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign movement is about is not merely the idea that they should be able to live the lives that they want without being bothered in the privacy of their own homes. The idea is that the ideology that undergirds their belief system must be imposed on you. You as a religious person in your daily life, you in your schools, you in your churches. The notion that this is going to stop is just a lie. It is not true. And as proof, I would like to offer this clip of Joe Biden circa 2006, because the goalposts have moved. I've mentioned this before. The goalposts moved from the reasonable to the not reasonable to the insane. They moved from, we wish to lead our sexual lives as we want without you interfering in our bedroom. And Americans, for a very long time, said, that's fine. Even sodomy laws, for example, that were on the books in many states were generally not enforced, even in the years well leading up to, to Lawrence, the, uh, Lawrence v. Texas. So they said, just leave us alone. We don't want to be criminalized in, in terms of our private activity. Fine. Then it turned into, we just want civil unions so that if we are, are in a relationship with a member of the same sex, these people can visit us at the hospital and they can be in our wills just by, by nature of law. And many Americans are like, okay, that's, that's totally fine. All right, make, makes sense. In fact, it was Mitt Romney in Massachusetts who was one of the first people to sign into law civil unions in the state of Massachusetts. Then it was, well, it's not enough for us to have them called civil unions. We want them to be called marriage. We want the same moral respect as a traditional marriage. And a lot of people say, well, hold up a second. This isn't the same phenomenon. And you can say a lot of things about same-sex relationships, but it is very difficult to claim they have the same societal value as traditional male-female dyads producing children, which is what the institution of marriage is predicated upon. The institution of marriage is just an enshrinement of the simple biological fact that men and women combine to create children and then raise those children. That is all that marriage is. You can pretend that other forms of relationship are equivalent. You can pretend that other forms of relationship have similar societal value. They do not. So a lot of people say, well, no, hold up just a minute. But the, the case that the left made on this was that marriage really isn't about the production of children. It's really not about creating family units. Marriage is just about who you love. And once they had redefined that, and they'd actually done this well in advance of same-sex marriage. They'd done this with regard to, for example, no-fault divorce. The idea being that there wasn't anything sacred about marriage. There wasn't anything unifying or, or creative of a family unit about marriage. It was just about who you loved. So if you didn't love somebody, then divorce was totally on the table. So no-fault divorce is fine. Once marriage had been redefined as just love between two individual human beings, 
then of course, same-sex marriage fell under that rubric. So many Americans were like, even there, they were like, okay. And then it moved to, well, now, if you are a person who doesn't actually believe that same-sex marriage and traditional marriage are morally equivalent, you still must celebrate same-sex marriage in every aspect of your life. It's very important that you do so. And your kids must be taught about this stuff at the earliest possible age. When your kids go to school, they must learn that same-sex marriage and traditional marriage are exactly the same, that all forms of sexual activity are equivalently moral and decent and fulfilling and good. Okay, th that's how far the ball has moved. And it's moved really far, really fast. And this is why I say that when the left says, we got what we wanted here, they're lying. They're lying. When they said same-sex marriage was the end point, it is not the end point, it is the beginning point. Here is Joe Biden circa 2006 talking about why there was no necessity for a constitutional amendment to protect a traditional marriage. He says there's no, there's no real reason for this sort of thing. The reason, why would we need a constitutional amendment to protect traditional marriage as the definition of marriage in federal law? After all, who, who would be pushing such a thing? Who would be pushing the idea of redefining marriage? Here's Joe Biden, 2006. Tucker Carlson showed this clip last night. The world's going to Hades in a handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu. We don't have enough vaccines. We don't have enough police officers. And we're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law. The Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. That was Joe Biden in 2006. It is now 2022. 16 years is not all that long a time. And now Joe Biden is on the lawn at the White House celebrating same-sex marriage being enshrined into federal law without proper protections for people who disagree that same-sex marriage is on the same moral par as traditional marriage. I mean, it's pretty amazing stuff, is it not? And it suggests that when people like Joe Biden say in 2006 that same-sex marriage is not on the table, they are lying to you. They are not telling you the truth. And when they deny outright that, for example, that when they say, we're not coming after your religious community, we're not coming after your church, we're not coming after your religious school, we're not coming after your business, they're lying. It's not true. So yesterday on the lawn of the White House, Joe Biden declared that today was a wonderful, it was a great day. Here was Joe Biden. He's wearing his aviator shades, which means that he's in a good mood, according to the press. It means that he's winning, according to the press. Here was Joe Biden yesterday. Today's a good day. A day America takes a vital step toward equality, toward liberty and justice, not just for some, but for everyone. Everyone. Hey, notice, a vital step toward equality. Right, it's a step. So what does equality actually look like in Joe Biden's view? In Joe Biden's view, what equality actually looks like is the transing of the children, for example. This is something he actively talked about in his speech. Equality looks like you should be able to demand that people who disagree with you bow to your whim and self-definition. This is what Joe Biden's equality looks like. That language is very important when he says it's a step toward equality. He's not saying we have achieved, we're done. He is saying we have gotten to this point and now there's still further to go because the transgressive movement, which is about imploding all of the vital institutions, the intermediate institutions of American society, moves apace. You have to understand this is part of a broader rubric on the part of the radical left, which has now infused much of the, the traditional left. And that rubric is that in the name of quote unquote individual rights, and when we say rights here, what we mean is essentially libertinism. In the name of, of our sexual self-fulfillment, all intermediate institutions that tend to inculcate things like duty need to be destroyed. 
So, to our quick hits, for many Afghan terror came with nightfall. A whole article on ProPublica about the CIA raids taking out entire fucking villages. Like bunny style. Do the whole fucking village. And none of it was ever reported. Under multiple administrations. And we wonder why the Taliban receded so quick. That's all I got to say. With the midterms in check... Interesting, the mainstream media is not covering this video. It's absolutely critical that we don't allow a Republican to win the White House in 2024. I'm concerned with Joe Biden's low polling. With his low popularity, it's way too much of a gamble. If he runs, the election is at serious risk. Joe Biden representing the status quo in 2024 simply won't cut it. We can't afford to risk the White House to a Republican who could defeat status quo Joe. The threat of the GOP has become all too obvious. The stakes could not be higher. Our ideas are way more popular than Joe Biden is. Joe Biden running undermines the Democratic Party's chances in 2024. There's no question that we have a climate emergency. It's a question of willingness to do something about it. It's not the time for half measures. All Americans need universal health care now. There's no room to compromise when our abortion rights are on the line. We can't afford to lose. Don't run, Joe. Don't run, Joe. Don't run, Joe. So weird they're not covering that. Hmm. Biden DOJ admits targeting pro-life activists. Emails show CDC removed offensive gun use stats after gun control advocates pressure them because it makes it look like there's not as much danger as there isn't. Because there isn't. And with defensive gun use, you don't have less crime. Everybody knows that they don't want to happen, but they go with every town because every town's woke. Yo, they're so woke. Here's a good soundbite by Molly Hemingway about the border in uh, Title 42. And there's 50,000 motherfuckers because Joe Biden kept letting them in. He going to get about 10 million voters on top of the 20. Republicans are doing nothing, so just get used to a Democratic president forever. I mean, one of the things that's so interesting about President Biden is he inherited a border that was largely secure. There were improvements that needed to be made, but after four years of the Trump administration, we'd gotten to an almost secure border. He willfully went about tearing down all the protections that were there. And then even when you have situations like this, some ingenuity from the Arizona governor trying to help the situation, the Biden administration, rather than encouraging that or doing that on their own, they actually sue to stop it. It is a willful uh, just willful destruction of our entire southern border. So the next soundbite is the worst of the Nancy Pelosi documentary done by her daughter that is being brought around like it is a Christmas special about Jesus Christ. There's so much crap in this speech. He lied so much and he fear mongered so yes. much. I mean, I wish I were free to say what I want to say about this, because this is a very dangerous man, a very dangerous man. He's hiding behind World War II, the Holocaust, children's cancer, and all the rest. Okay, Mom, here we go. You've set up an epic battle. The press are now saying it's you against the president. Morning. How are you, George? Oh, super. Anyone you've heard enough? I'll give you some of the top stuff. Unbelievable. The post uh, leaves with clean, condescending applause. Nancy Pelosi clapped at Trump, and the internet lost. The internet is a fire. And you can 
Look, it says Dems celebrate Pelosi era after State of the Union. Pelosi era. Literally. It's the Pelosi era. <laughs> that doesn't take long. He's looking. Oh, he doesn't know what hit him. <laughs> oh, <it's> just... <laughs> <laughs> Photoshopping gone mad. Oh my god, that was terrible. That's so bad. Thanks, President. Not a good night. And our members have said they don't regret their health care bill really across the board. Even if we never passed health care reform, we were still going to lose this election because of 9.5% unemployment. Because it wasn't about that, it was about jobs. The white male thing is just such a dominant thing, and uh, when they don't have a job, uh, it, they get in the mood, and uh, so we all have to make some decisions in our caucus about how we look forward. Mom, they're really coming after you. Have you seen these ads? I don't see them because they don't show them in San Francisco, but I've heard about them, that they had 137,000 ads against me. The Republicans knew that I was a problem to them because I was successful. If I were not successful, I would not have been their target. And by the way, when you're a woman, you're more of a target. Somebody's just sent me this picture, which has been in the public domain for a while. And it's a picture in which I am saying to the president, with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. I'm out of here in terms of this meeting. And the White House uh, put, took the picture, because we're not even allowed to bring cameras into such a room. The, president, the White House put this out to show how out of hand I had become. But in fact, what they did was a giant favor. I've said it before. I will say it again. She is the most divisive fucking person on the planet. And she did more to hurt our democracy than help. Just hurt. Big time. A CNN article. Do you really need deodorant? Experts weigh in. That's the thing. Not making it up. That's, that's, that's a fucking thing. Um, the next is Nancy Mace. And I don't really like Nancy Mace, but uh, this was pretty good. She sent the targets up and shot them down. And these are all dudes in dresses. Is rhetoric on social media a problem and a threat to our democracy, Mr. Ward? Yes, absolutely. Mr. Siegel? Yes. Ms. Caraballo? Yes. Ms. Nomani? Yes. Ms. Tyler? Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> another question I have, uh, do you believe that rhetoric targeting officials with violence for carrying out their constitutional duties um, is a threat to democracy, Mr. Ward? Mr. Siegel. Yes. 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 <clears throat> All right. Thank you very much. Only a few weeks after the attempted attack on a Supreme Court justice on June 25th, one of the witnesses, Alejandra Caraballo, tweeted out the following in response to a decision on abortion overturning Roe v. Wade. And I'll quote directly from the tweet. The six justices who overturned Roe should never no peace again. It is our civic duty to accost them every time they're in public. They are pariahs. Since women don't have their rights, these justices should never have a peaceful moment in public again. I know something about being accosted. The night of January 5th, I was physically accosted 
on the streets of DC in Navy Yard by a constituent of mine. I fervently blamed rhetoric, rhetoric on social media, rhetoric at public events, for being physically accosted. I carry a gun everywhere I go when I am in my district and I'm at home because I know personally that rhetoric has consequences. I've had my car keyed. I've had my house spray painted. I had someone trespass in my house as recently as August. I've been doxxed on social media about where I live. Um, and I've had to add to security everywhere I go, often because I can't afford it. I have to carry my own firearm wherever I go. And um, Alejandra Caraballo also recently tweeted on November 19th, not even a month ago, that the Supreme Court, vested with the judicial power of the United States by our Constitution, stated they are not a legitimate court issuing decisions. And also the Supreme Court is an organ of the far right. So my last question today of Ms. Caraballo, do you stand by these comments, this kind of rhetoric on social media, and do you believe it's a threat to democracy? Thank you, Representative, for the opportunity to clarify and provide context to my tweets. <clears throat> um, and I have a question. question, is it yes or no? Do you believe your rhetoric is a threat to democracy when you're calling to accost a branch of government, the Supreme Court? I don't believe that's a correct uh, characterization of my tweeted, statements. Though. Did you not tweet that? That you thought that the Supreme Court justices should be accosted? Did what I'm saying is that that, that is no? not an accurate characterization of my statements. On June 8th of this year, a man was arrested near Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home in Maryland. He told law enforcement officers he wanted to kill a Supreme Court justice. He was found. Um, uh, with uh, a knife, with a pistol, two magazines, ammunition, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer, crowbar, and duct tape. Ms. Caraballo, on page 12 and 13 of your written testimony, you painted concerned parents as having been infiltrated by white nationalists and far-right militia groups, which played a significant role in school board protests. This has not, this has not actually been my experience with concerned parents. In your testimony, you wrote that in Loudoun County, Virginia, unfounded rumors that spread in local parent groups on Facebook about an alleged trans student sexually assaulting a girl in a bathroom led to a firestorm of, of several heated school board protests that descended into violence. But in fact, the perpetrator, it actually turned out, had committed two sexual assaults at two different Loudoun County Schools in 2021 and was arrested on October 7th, 2021 by the Loudoun County Sheriff's Office. These weren't unfounded rumors, as you suggest. It actually turns out law enforcement had to act because a sexual assault occurred. So given this, I'm assuming that until now you were unaware of, of what happened here and you're gonna update your testimony for the committee. Is that correct? And before our big finish with two conservatives for our This Is America today, we're going to have um, Jesse Waters, who I really don't like, uh, talk about a Christmas tree that I was going to cover over like three or four podcasts, but I kept not getting it in. That actually worked itself out because some goddamn atheist piece of shit didn't want a Christmas tree. And uh, Tucker Carlson, amazing segment. It's 12 minutes long, a little long, um, but it's really good. Um, about the administration's racist lie. Um, I will put in front of it, in the bumper for This Is America, the Washington Post. Almost all media are doing layoffs because they're utter garbage 
and their utter garbage isn't being read by even liberals. There is actual statistical evidence that Fox News is crushing CNN and MSNBC so bad they're winning in the Democrat demo. That's how bad those other channels are. So this is good for our society. Maybe New York Times, WAPO, all these these news stations, CNN, everybody kicking people off. They'll go back to being reporters, not transcribers. So here is that hidden video straight into This is America. With once again, Jesse Waters and a great Tucker Carlson say. We will have we'll have more information as we move forward. Thank you very much. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America. Most wonderful time of the year. Snow falling, sipping cocoa with the fam, and of course, Christmas trees. There it is. But for every Griswold, there's a Scrooge. And there's a Scrooge living in Massachusetts, where the first shots have been fired in the war on Christmas at a public library in the tiny town of Dedham. The Dedham Public Library's Endicott branch has decided they will not put up their annual Christmas tree this season. Instead of spreading holiday cheer, they're going to keep the star in the box and leave the tree in storage, ending a tradition that's been going on for decades. Why? Well, the library's director, Amber Maroney, or Maroney, whatever, Scrooge, said some people were offended by a Christmas tree in a library, and the library banned the tree. But one patriotic librarian employee was going, not going to let it fly. So she sounded the alarm to prime time. I was told um, that when people, use the word people, walked in that room, um, it made them uncomfortable. Town Hall has a menorah out. Um, I say let's celebrate every tradition, religion, whatever it is that sparks joy for you and your family. The library is set to hold a public meeting next week so the public can weigh in on the Christmas tree crisis. We reached out to the library for a statement, but they haven't gotten back to us. But the residents of Dedham aren't okay with Christmas being canceled. I'm sad that I won't see the decorated tree in the library. The library celebrates so many things. Pride Week, Fourth of July, Thanksgiving, Kwanzaa, the Jewish holidays. I think a tree doesn't resemble every single um, religion or holiday. I think it's just the thought of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas. Um, it might make young children upset or, you know, wonder why there's no tree.
I've been coming here for 30 years, even when my son was little. And just like most buildings at Christmas time, especially places where there are children, you expect to see Christmas trees. It's not fair that a few town employees who didn't feel comfortable were able to affect this change in this town that is supposed to be inclusive. And I feel that this is a very exclusive maneuver that they've made for those who appreciate Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. In the summer of 2020, mobs of Joe Biden voters destroyed big parts of the city of Minneapolis. They looted stores, they burned a police station, they murdered people. But they did this, we were informed at the time, in the name of something called racial justice. But then we saw that some of the mob turned out to be privileged white kids, the children of lawyers from Bethesda. But they said they were rioting on behalf of so-called marginalized communities. They were working for racial justice. And because of that, they couldn't be punished for what they did. Nor, by the way, were they required to wear COVID masks like the rest of us. That's how holy their mission was. They're exempt from the normal laws of civilization. Kamala Harris raised money for them like they were missionaries. You probably remember that. But do you recall what happened next in Minneapolis? That's the part of the story the media had no interest in covering, and they never do. The iron law of liberal social activism is that you never revisit the scenes of your moral victories. You give a speech declaring yourself a good person and you go home. You don't return to Selma or Soweto or Ferguson, Missouri to see how the people there are doing because it's not about those people. It's about you and your newly enhanced moral authority, which is instantly convertible to political power and cash. Ask Barack Obama. But in the spring of 2021, one reporter decided to break with protocol and go back to Minneapolis a year later. He wanted to see what racial justice had done for the city. His name was Michael Tracy. And as you can imagine, he writes for Substack, not the New York Times. One night while Tracy was in Minneapolis, a man walked into a Somali-owned convenience store and murdered the clerk. Tracy wanted to know why that happened. So we started to interview people in the neighborhood. And one of them told him this, quote, African-Americans are hunting Somalis in Minneapolis. Why is that? Well, because, quote, they believe Somalis are getting special favors from the government. Are you surprised to hear that? You should not be surprised. Because when government creates a spoil system based on race and ethnicity, and our government certainly has done that, division and violence are the inevitable outcomes. That is true always and everywhere. That fact never changes. And liberals for many decades used to pretend to understand that. That's why they opposed Jim Crow and the Nuremberg laws. But at some point, and it would be interesting to know precisely when and why, liberals enthusiastically embraced the racial spoil system they once claimed to hate. This is unfolding across the country, but it's especially prevalent in places liberals control. The more power liberals have, the more sweeping and rigid the race-based spoil system they create. In California, of course, they have absolute power. And that's why the government of San Francisco has just announced they will send you money if you have the right skin color. More cities and counties in the Bay Area are starting guaranteed income programs for the most vulnerable people in their communities. The Silicon Valley Guaranteed Income Pilot Program says it'll target people of color, undocumented and mixed-status families, and women-led households. 150 families will get $1,000 a month for two years with no strings attached. 
the most vulnerable people in the community. If you're the most vulnerable person in the community, you get $1,000 a month. But that specifically does not include the homeless guy ODing in the park on fentanyl if he's white. If he's white, he can die because if he's white, even if he's dying, he's by definition not vulnerable. California now has many programs like this. The state has now proposed a reparations program for the descendants of slaves. It seems simple, but there's a problem with it. How do you know who qualifies for reparations? It's been a long time. It's been more than 150 years since slavery. And Americans have made a lot of babies since then. And many of them are interracial. So at this point, there are plenty of white people in America who are descended from slaves. There are plenty of black people in America who are descended from slave owners. That's just true. So how do you know who qualifies for government reparations? Well, of course, there's only one way to find out, and it's old-fashioned Nazi race science. Nazi race science. So the state will have to certify the racial purity of its citizens in order to send them money. That's going to have to happen. Do we really want to go there? Do we really want to do that? Amazingly, liberals really do. The city of San Francisco just fired its elections director, a man called John Arnst, because he's white. We're not guessing at that. The president of San Francisco's election commission, Chris Jordanik, confirmed that was the reasoning. And we're quoting. Our decision, he said to the man who was fired, was not about your performance. But after 20 years, we wanted to take action on the city's racial equity plan and give people an opportunity to compete for a leadership position. Fired for his skin color. Aren't we against that? Didn't we have a civil rights movement? to stop that. And by the way, in this specific case, the guy who got fired, John Arnst, single-handedly ended widespread corruption and incompetence in San Francisco's election. He had the job for two decades. They used to have ballot boxes turning up regularly in the San Francisco Bay. That was fraud. He stopped it. But his skin color was the problem. The shade of his skin was more offensive to liberals in San Francisco than fraudulent elections. Now, there was an outcry over this, and Arnst ultimately got his job back. But the city of San Francisco, the government, not just the people, the government, still endorses the idea of punishing people based on their skin color. The city of San Francisco just launched a separate guaranteed income program, this one for, quote, pregnant black women. It pays up to $1,000 a month. And that program got more than $5 million more in state funding, so it's expanding now to Los Angeles, Riverside, Contra Costa County, Alameda. The left-wing group Expecting Justice Just put together this promo for the program. Watch. Many people don't realize this, but here in San Francisco, Black and Pacific Islander women have a significantly more risk of maternal mortality, infant mortality, and pregnancy complications than other people. And people also don't realize that this risk is primarily due to racism, both structural racism and the racism that birthing people and mothers experience when they're interacting with physicians and other medical providers. So that is, every word of it, a racist lie. There's precisely no evidence that structural racism exists in this country against the community she's talking about, and none whatsoever that it causes higher infant mortality. There's no science whatsoever. That's just, again, a racist lie. But more to the point, nobody who says birthing people should ever be in charge of handing out money to mothers, much less taxpayers' money. But of course, that's happening, and that tells you, well, this is a grift. This is a scam designed to shunt money from people who make it to people who vote for the right party. And that's why Sheila Jackson Lee recently demanded billions of dollars of reparations, because that, she said, would have been a much better way to deal with COVID.
Interestingly, a recent peer-reviewed study from Harvard Medical School, Harvard Medical School, suggests that reparations for African Americans could have cut COVID-19 transmission and infection rates, both among blacks and the population at large. So she's obviously a fringe character and easy to make fun of. But it wasn't just Sheila Jackson Lee. That was the official position. That was the prevailing view of the Democratic Party in 2020. Vote for us and we'll give reparations based on skin color. Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee has proposed a bill to form a commission to study how to do reparations. When I am elected president, I'll sign it. Would you sign that bill? Yes. yes. Would you sign it? The House and Senate passed that bill, of course, I would sign it. I firmly support Congresswoman Jackson Lee's bill to create a commission to study reparations. Would you sign the bill for reparations? Yes, I would. I already support that bill. There are things that we need to do in this country that have been a long time in coming. One of those is to move forward with reparations. So again, it's hard to overstate just how crazy and divisive that is. In order for that to work in practice, you would have to take people's blood and figure out what percentage they were of one race or the other, maybe measure their heads. You would wind up with Nazi race science, with racial purity tests. And no decent person wants to live in a country where the government does that. It's obviously a dead end and a terrible idea. And it would, of course, promote violence and division. So that's a non-starter when you think about it. But Joe Biden decided he was going to get around a national debate on reparations simply by just doing it, throwing it in the farm bill. Biden, right after he took office, allocated billions of dollars in farm aid based on race, just on race. A judge thankfully shut that down. But they didn't slow down in their effort to create a racial spoil system. Both of them really, really good. So that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Share it with your family and friends and go to SoundCloud or Rumble to find links there for all our shows. Disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. In an hour and a half, I will be doing my Christmas Zoom, and I'm thinking about doing a um, Christmas podcast probably next week. So we'll do um, 20th. Uh, I'm booked up because I am getting a surgery finally. They're going to remove my gallbladder. So in January 18th, I will go under the knife. They're going to take out the gallbladder and do some exploratory and finding out what's going on down there, which is great. Um, so that's really good news. So I have an all day the 20th. So let's go. Um, the 21st will be our podcast, and I'll do a quick news and a little Christmas theme, and uh, then we'll get a uh, podcast in the week after before New Year's. Um, Starts to 2023, where this little old podcast is seven years old. Then that's whoo, we're on our third mic and third computer. And <laughs> God, fingers crossed, nothing else breaks. But I thank everybody for listening. You all have a great holiday season. Enjoy your family and spend time with them. And I will talk to you on the 21st. Till then, take care. So I'm getting ready to, and I'm editing a few sound bites down.
And I forgot our lighter fare for today, and I gotta play this. So you get one more for the road. This is Tucker bashing Adam Kinziger. Last night, this is the last thing I saw before all my medicine knocked me the hell out, and I was laughing my way to sleep. So enjoy this one. See you next week. Kinziger made that clear the other day when he responded personally to a Twitter account called Cat Turd. Because when you're one of Washington's leading authorities on foreign policy, you spend a lot of time on Twitter reading accounts with names like Cat Turd. So the other day, Cat Turd made the mistake of posting a meme that seemed to mock the colors of the Ukrainian flag, colors that are sacred to Adam Kinzinger and every other empathetic soccer mom in her mid-40s. You can imagine how offensive that was. It was like telling an off-color joke about Meghan Markle. It could not stand. And so alone and battling debilitating hot flashes in his kitchen, fighting the urge to open yet another bag of chips ahoy, Adam Kinzinger fought back. Literal evil, he wrote in a late night response to Cat Turd. If I met you in person, it would not end well for you, sicko. Whoa, hear that, Cat Turd? It will not end well for you. That's not a pillow fight Adam Kinzinger is talking about. That's a full-on slap fight with hair pulling. This is real. You'd better apologize. Our heart goes out to Cat Turd tonight, who's probably cowering in a litter box somewhere, waiting for Adam Kinzinger to show up with sharpened nails. Mock the Ukrainian flag, get scratched. Those are the rules, Cat Turd. It's a tough town. Meow.